So please forgive me if I've already told you the story I can't ever remember, but I'm going to tell it again, uh, if I did already. Jeff and I were in our, my office together, and we're doing some ministry with uh, a couple, and thankfully he was there because he rescued the appointment, I thought. Um, I came home feeling like, doggone it, those people deserve more from me than that. I, I was disappointed with my contribution as a pastor and feeling kind of bummed out. So uh, I, I, uh, I come home, I'm talking to our son-in-law, Anthony, and he says, what's wrong? I said, ah, I just swung and missed today, you know. And so, you know, Anthony, I just need some gospel. I need, a, I need some grace message into my head. You know what I'm going to do? It was like 10 o'clock at night, right? It was a late showing of Les Mis, and I was waiting for mom for us to go see it together, but I'm going. She's, she was working during, all night or something. I'm going to Les Mis tonight. I need some gospel. You know the story of Les Mis, right? Um, so a thief gets out of prison, comes to hungry and needing a place to stay, and a priest takes him in, gives him a bed, meal in a bed. When the priest goes to bed, the thief, instead of being grateful and responding appropriately, sees some silver chalice, silver candlesticks, and when no one's looking, takes them and stuffs them in his bag, takes off, he's caught. The police bring him with the evidence back to the priest, saying, this guy stole your candlesticks, didn't he? And the priest, showing even further mercy, deeper mercy, said, oh, no, 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 those candlesticks were a gift to him. In fact, look, you forgot you forgot, I was, I'm glad you came back. You forgot the silver cross that goes with them. Put them in the bag, and it changed the guy's life, and the story revolves around that kind of theme. And so you can see why I needed that that night. I went to Les Mis. I went by myself. I really did not know that this newest production was, was an opera, was completely sung. Uh, <laughs> And, but I, I've got to tell you, I sat there and I thought, oh no, man, the whole thing is sung. <laughs> Russell Crowe's one of the singers. It got worse, you know. <laughs> By the end of it, I was sitting there saying, oh no, it's over already. And I went looking for gospel and I found it. But I sat behind some folks, or they sat in front of me, who while I was being deeply touched in response to deep need, they were snickering. So every time someone, oh, right, okay, and they'd make some snide joke. You know the lovely people in the movie that think they, you need their commentary? They were the. And when the movie was over, the screen went dark. That movie ends rather powerfully. And the first sound anybody in the theater heard after the screen went dark came from those folks sitting in front of me, and it sounded like this. One of them made the sound of snoring. <laughs> And that was their response to the film. I was struck by the difference between the way those four folks had received the story and the way I received the story. They were no doubt responding to that unfortunate decision to cast Russell Crowe as a lead in an opera. And I agreed with them on that. But, but for me... Bad singing was trumped by a great love story. That was what stood out to me. The love God had shown to an ungrateful, undeserving thief 
through the tenacious, pitbull, uncommon love of a priest. And I, I couldn't leave the theater for several minutes. I, I just sat there in my seat because I knew the story already. We'd seen the movie years before. We, Brenda and I had seen the stage play when we lived in Denver. I haven't read the thousand pages. What was Jeff saying recently? He started to read it. You started to read it, and after an hour, you realized the Kindle said you were 1% done and didn't have the 99% to get through the rest. <clears throat> but I already knew the story, and, and that's why I went, because I needed that gospel story. I sat there in the theater, just, oh in spite of the snoring and the jesting and the snickering. And then, and then after I came out, it was right here at Smith Ranch Road, and it was, what, midnight or 12.30 by the time the thing was done, I came out, and all the popcorn that had been popped up had been put away to be put back out and served as fresh the next day, you know. <clears throat> and all the workers were gone, and I had to lean against the wall there and think some more. And I asked myself this question. If God loved me like that, because I am that thief, aren't you? Come looking dirty, stinky, smelly, looking for hope. Used to being turned away, doors slammed in our faces. But grace opens the door and says, not only can you come in out of the rain, you can have clean sheets and a meal at my table. And I'll leave you with all of my valuables. And then when we steal, come back, he says, oh, no, 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 that was a gift. It, in fact, adds to the gift. If God loves us like that, how should we then love? What is my purpose? What is my duty? What is the Christian church left here for? To what and for what purpose did Jesus say, I'm leaving, but I will send my Holy Spirit to empower you to do these things that I call you to do, how should we then love? Would you stand for the reading of the text from which we'll take this message this morning from John 15? And hear the words of Jesus. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, which I think is one of the most beautiful words in the whole English language. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And you did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This, Jesus says once again, is my command. Love each other. May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully inspired message to us. You go ahead and be seated. How should we then love? We love the same way we have been loved. We love with the same character. We love with the same force. We love with the same definition. We love with the same measure. We love with the same strength. 
And that means, on the one hand, that if we're going to love like we've been loved, we love sacrificially. And that's the first point I want to make in answer to that question that I was asking, leaning against, leaning against the wall in that theater. We love sacrificially. There is no such thing as love without sacrifice. We love sacrificially. The other day I was uh, at the store, and outside the store I saw a friend from uh, this fellowship. I hadn't seen him in a while. Hey, how are you doing? What's up? And he, you know, he's about seven foot everything. And oh, there he is right back there. Yeah, hey, see what I mean? <laughs> and uh, we'll have to change the story now that I know you're here. <laughs> so what's up? And uh, I, I still ride your motorcycles because I love riding motorcycles. Oh, no, I don't take risks uh, anymore. Well, why not? Because I've fallen in love with a woman. And that struck me as interesting. And I said to him, don't you understand when you fall in love with a woman, that's like the greatest risk in the whole world. You, you never saw risk and sacrifice. And they don't make a helmet for that where you fall off, that's going to conk you on the head. And we had a good laugh about it outside. And when we love, if we love like Christ loved us, like God loved us, we love sacrificially. This is the Christian normal. Now we're doing everything we can to make something else the Christian normal. This is the Christian normal, to love sacrificially. How should we then love? It has been modeled for us in the love we've received. If you jump back into John 15 and look at those first two verses, or first three verses, you'll see. John 15, 12, my commandment is this, love each other, how? As I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you think of that, lay down one's life, and our minds automatically go to physical death. And that'd be a great thing. That's a lot of love. But the more daily experience is this. As though Jesus were saying, set aside your life for your friends. He also taught about the need for Christians. This is another Christian normal that we've made abnormal. To die to yourself. To show restraint for your friends. To give up a right for your friends. To not do something you have the, the, the privilege of doing. There's a freedom to do because it's not in the best interest of somebody you love. There is no such thing as love without sacrifice. If we're loving the way Jesus loved us. Set aside your life for your, for your friends. John 3.16 is the most well-known. It's got to be the most well-known verse. If you watch golf, you know John 3.16. Always at the 18th hole, a big Sign, John 3, 16. That God so loved the world that he sacrificed. He sent his uniquely begotten son that whoever would believe in him, follow him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So just a couple of points to make underneath this idea of loving sacrificially. Again, the question is, how should we then love? We love like God loved us, sacrificially. A couple of points to make underneath that main point. When we're loving the way God loved, first of all, we reject the notion that loving people is painless. If you're going to love the way God loved, and that's why Jesus left us here. That's 
the reason he sends his Holy Spirit to strengthen us, because he wants us to love in ways we don't have the natural capacity to love. We need an infilling of some other force and some other strength to love like that. It means we reject the notion that you can love without feeling pain. It's kind of like, you know, you're not going to dance with me without having your feet stepped on. It's just going to go, one goes with the other. You're going to love the way Jesus wants us to love, the way we've been loved. We reject the notion that that is painless. And we reject the notion that loving people is costless. It will cost us when you love sacrificially. Abraham Lincoln loved a united collection of states. Was that love costless for him? Martin Luther King Jr., whom we rightfully celebrated recently, loved equality and justice through nonviolence. His heart was broken when he saw the division, and it still would be broken. He would still be worked. But did that love come with no price tag for him? Even in our own narthex, we have a little banner up there. It says, nothing of significance ever happens without vision, calling or commitment, and sacrifice. And it's true, and we all know it's true. Those of you who have children, is there love without sacrifice? And the answer is, come on, no. Those of you who have what we're going to be talking about in February, you know, this idea of marriage or even a deep friendship, is there love without sacrifice, without the setting aside of your life for someone else? No, there isn't. How should we then love? We love the same way we've been loved. We love sacrificially. And we reject the notion that loving people is painless. That's just not true. And we reject the notion that loving people is costless. That's just not true. We love like God loved us. God finds us stealing apples from his garden, and instead of showing what we de- giving us what we deserve and holding us accountable and showing contempt and giving us prison, he shows us the gate and he gives us the key. And then he gives us the orchard. Loving is painful and costly. And that's what sacrificial love is. That's how we should then love. And then lastly, so we love sacrificially, but we also love proactively. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I was proactive. I took initiative. I chose you. And then I appointed you. Appointed us what? To, to gather once a week and call it good? <coughs> Sing a few songs? Excuse me. <coughs> I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last with the result that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, he reiterates. Love one another. Love each other. Romans 5, Paul, uh, in Romans 5, Paul explains that even further. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still practicing sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, so there he's taking initiative. Love 
His, his love is proactive. When we love like Christ loved us, we love proactively. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on in verse 9, Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be rescued or saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his initiative, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? And you have another example, another explanation of this idea of the love of God being proactive. He doesn't wait around to be loved. He takes initiative to love. He's the first to love. So that love is proactive. That means we take the initiative to love people. That's really what this is getting at. A couple of points under that idea of loving proactively. It means that we show prevenient grace. Long before, Oh, thanks, brother. Thanks, Todd. God bless you. You're being proactive, aren't you? He said, Art, I knew you were coughing here. I needed that. We love proactively. We take the initiative to love people. So the idea that we then, and he appointed us, remember? How should we then love? The way we've been loved by God. We show prevenient grace. Here's what we mean by that. We do infant baptisms here every once in a while. Most people in our church choose to have their children dedicated, but we serve the whole church and we'll, we'll do infant baptisms as well. And we picture in that infant baptism prevenient grace. And so it's meant to be a picture for all of us. The baby comes unaware that there's a thing called faith, unaware as far as we can tell, at least conscious awareness, measurable awareness, that there is a God who loves them. All they know is when they cry, they get fed. When they cry, the diaper gets changed and they need cuddling and all the things that babies are aware of. But we bring that baby and it's a picture for us of prevenient grace. The baby, not knowing what's going on, is taken by someone else, the family of faith and the community of faith, and in that context, taken to a baptismal font that represents in this ceremony the grace of God, the mercy of God, and baptized by that water before they're aware that there's even a thing called receiving Christ and making a conscious decision to follow Christ. That's something in which we believe very strongly as well. But this pictures this grace that's unmerited and that comes to you before you have any argument that you deserve it, which we never do, or any awareness that it's even coming. The love of God practiced through us, the proactive, sacrificial love of God, shows prevenient grace. In other words, the church was commissioned for many things, one of which, one of the most important of which was this. We are going to go into our community and practice this godly love before anybody asks for it, deserves it, buys it, any kind of thing. We are there first. We are first responders. We are initiators of the love that we've known from God. If you want to love like you've been loved, you're proactive in your love. Well, I'm not going to show love to them because they show no love to me. doesn't sound a lot like Jesus to me. We're proactive in our love. We're launchers of love. And we don't just return love for love. We plant the seeds of love in the fields of evil. We scatter the values and the experience of God 
where we're not welcomed, where we do not feel normal. We beg for God to put us in a new field where it's even harder and more needy. That's the church. That's the purpose for which we've been launched. We're going to love like we've been loved. God came to us. He took initiative for us. While we were still off thinking about other things and not at all interested in Him, He began to woo us. If you remember, if you've come to Christ, your heart was strangely warmed somehow. That happened step by step. Maybe he started thinking about different things and not thinking about that thing and wondering what in the world was the purpose of life. Uh, I was asked just the other day by, by one of our sons, you, you ever ask the question, that what's the point of life? I mean, why did God even create it? What's the point? You start asking those deep questions. And God woos us. And he says, come follow me. You're going to have a yoke on you. Might as well have one that fits. Take initiative. And we spread the seeds of love in the fields of evil. We are proactive in the way we love. We, ours is the kind of love that lowers resistance by raising eyebrows. Ours is what Francis Chan called crazy love. In Luke 6, Jesus says, You who are listening, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good uh, to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek also. If someone asks you for your coat, do not withhold your shirt. And I would say that qualifies as crazy. Listen, folks. The Love your enemies is not a metaphor. It's a command. And it's impossible. But if we're going to love the way we've been loved, we love sacrificially and we love proactively. We go in love before anybody even knows they need the love. We go so far as to love our enemies. That's not an ideal. That's an objective. And the Christian church has been commissioned to be on the road toward that objective. And then given the Holy Spirit to give us power to be what we only dream, thought we could dream of being. We are not simply advocates of love. We are the launchers of love. To love like we've been loved means we love sacrificially and we love proactively. In World War II, anybody read the book yet, uh, uh, Unbroken? Good book. This gives you some, this is in that book. Not this particular story, but the kinds of things I'm talking about. There's another book that came out much earlier called Through the Valley of the Kwai. Anybody read that? It was later renamed to align itself, the book to align with the movie that was uh, launched after the book called To End All Wars. Some of you have seen that movie, I know, and some of you may have read the book under that title. The story of Allied prisoners, now they weren't the only ones, there were all sorts of prisoners, but Allied prisoners in, in the um, uh, To End All Wars film and book that were 
captured and placed in Japanese death camps. That's what they've been called now. And from those camps, the workforce was taken to build the Thailand-Burmese Railroad. So the Japanese had campaigns in Burma and they needed to supply those troops. And so they built this from Bangkok on up into Burma, 260-ish miles of track. It was made famous and more well-known by the movie The Bridge Over the River Kwai. You've heard of that movie, perhaps. And those captors lived by what was called the Bushido Code. A code. It was a, a code of, uh, of pride and honor and duty. And there were several hallmarks of that code. For instance, to be wounded or disabled to the point where you could not fight anymore as opposed to taking your own life when that was true and to be captured then was a disgrace to your family. To give assistance to somebody who had been wounded or disabled, chosen not to fight, and allowed themselves to be captured, to assist them was considered an insult, a disgrace to your family. However, to brutalize and treat like dogs those who had been captured, especially if they had been captured by you, to brutalize those folks was considered a duty that you had in Bushido Code. So, when World War II ends and the Allied prisoners hear that the Japanese had surrendered and all of a sudden the captured became the captors and everything turned on, its, on a dime. When, when that happened, any responsible person, when you understand the brutality, the sheer brutality which with, these, which, with which these prisoners had been treated, Anybody with a reasonable mind would expect and maybe even secretly endorse revenge, payback. That's about how quickly things happen, uh, this liberation. Unless, unless they were people like Ernest Gordon, true story, who through the nightmare of that camp found Christ and through practicing the teachings of Christ with others, turned everything around in these camps. Men found purpose again. And they also learned a different way. They learned the way of love. I'm going to show you a clip from the movie To End All Wars. This is a true story. This actually happened. ...was also hit nearby. The wounded had abandoned their posts looking for help. Their arrival at our camp would compel us to make the most important decision of our lives. A decision that would defy the Bushido code of honor and shame.
Yanlıştı. Captain Gordon, I forbid you to give comfort and aid to the enemy. Major, those are wounded, dying human beings. They're no harm to us. Ernie, get back to your own men. Someone please get me some water. Could someone please get me some water? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Lest we forget, church, we have not been commissioned to stop the Republicans, dethrone the Democrats, undo the agenda of everybody that disagrees with us. The church has been commissioned and empowered to love. Love. 